Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13 and stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to be reading Matthew 13 verses 34 and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to meet together We pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us what you have in your word for us today. And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for this sermon today, I am going to be using words. And I will be speaking in the English language. Because then you can hopefully understand what I'm saying. I... I use words because words are a huge part of life. We use them to express our thoughts, our needs, and our desires. God used words to communicate with us. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. It tells us that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus Christ is God's prophet. Now, one of the ways that Jesus spoke was in parables. Stories to show how His kingdom works. His words were a mystery to some, clear gospel truth to others. But what I want you to see today is this, that Jesus Christ as God's prophet fulfills prophecy and teaches things previously hidden. He fulfills prophecy and teaches things previously hidden so that his people would know with assurance and then would serve him faithfully. If we're going to please God in this life, we need to listen to Jesus. As God made man, he spoke for God with the authority of God and declared God's truth. That's the message of Matthew 13, 34 and 35. So we're in Matthew chapter 13. As we go through the gospel of Matthew, this is now the 90th sermon as we're going through Matthew's gospel. But chapter 13 is a central pivot point of the whole gospel. After it, Jesus focuses more intently on the Gentiles and on his disciples with fewer direct appeals to the Jews and to his opponents. And we've seen some things so far in Matthew 13. We have seen four of the, of the eight parables. In verses 1 through 9 and also verses 18 through 23 and the explanation, we see the parable of the sower, which taught us that many will not believe, but true disciples, true believers bear good fruit. And then in verses 10 through 17, Matthew highlighted some of the purposes of parables. That God conceals his word after repeated rejection. Those who repent have it revealed to them. But the understanding they lacked was not factual, but it was of the will. It had to do with their will. They did not want to follow Jesus. 
And when Jesus spoke in parables, it's because he wanted people to think. He gave them a mind and he wanted them to use it. I mean, I want you to think about what I'm saying today. And Jesus wanted people to think about what he was saying. So he told stories with hidden meanings. Only those who wanted to learn about him and his kingdom would get the meaning. They would really try and understand. And he didn't just tell stories. He told stories with a point that some would get and some would miss. Moving on in chapter 13, in verses 24 through 30, we saw the parable of the weeds. That Satan's blinded unbelieving will coexist with believers until the end of the age. And then last week in verses 31 through 33, we saw the mustard seed and the leaven parables, the small to great nature of God's rule in Christ. And now we come to verses 33, excuse me, 34 and 35, which are the midpoint of this chapter. And what Matthew does is he in, inserts a brief intermission of sorts between the first four parables and the last four. Verse 34 begins, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables everything he said so far in Matthew 13 he's speaking to the crowds and he's doing it in parables it says that without a parable Jesus did not speak that doesn't mean that he never spoke anything else that he only spoke parables but that everything he spoke to the crowds from there on out was accompanied by parables it's like saying Roger eats everything with the salt it doesn't mean he eats only salt, but he puts salt on everything. Jesus put parables into everything from this point out. Verse 35 says it was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is a quote. This is a quote. Now, some manuscripts say that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. It wasn't. Now it does sound a bit like Isaiah 40 and verse 5, which says this, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But this is a clear reference, a clear quote of Psalm 78. And verse 2. And Asaph is the prophet that is being referred to, not Isaiah. So let's go to Psalm 78 because to understand Matthew 13, 34, and 35, we must understand Psalm 78 and verse 2. Psalm 78 was written by Asaph. He is called a seer or prophet in 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 30. And in this psalm, he is reviewing some of the key points in Israel's history from the Exodus to King David. There was something hidden to a new generation of Jews that needed to be revealed that, so that they could learn from history and pass it on to the younger generations, to future generations. This psalm begins, give ear, my people, to my teaching. Listen up. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Utter literally means to belch forth. It's a strong word. Verse 3 says that what will be uttered are things that we have heard and known and that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Something was hidden. It needed to be revealed. They needed to learn from their history so that they could pass those truths on to future generations. It was what they were to teach their children so that they would, as verse 5 says, and verse 6, that they might know them. They might know what God has said. That the children, even the ones that aren't born yet, because their parents and, and those that, that bore them would basically teach them intently that they would arise and tell them to their children. And it says in verse 7, so that they would put their hope in God. That they would trust God. And not forget the works of God. Not be unfaithful like their forefathers. That they were to keep His commandments. This was the purpose of Psalm 78. It was revealed to them so they could learn and so they could pass it on. Now some say that Matthew was taking Psalm 78 completely out of context. Some say, well, hey, Psalm 78 tells of things that Israel knew in their past. Those weren't hidden things. Those weren't mysterious. And here in Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking of hidden things to the people in mysterious ways to hide the truth from outsiders. So that's a popular way of understanding it, but it actually shows a misunderstanding of Psalm 78 and Matthew 13. See, Psalm 78 does recall Israel's known history, but the psalmist says he was speaking in parables, that he was speaking wise sayings, hidden things, enigmas. Well, the history was well known, but the psalmist is putting it together in such a way that they would get the things that had puzzled them. He told them what the pattern of their history was teaching them. He focused on God's power exercised on behalf of his people. He showed the contrast between the people's constant rebellion and God's constant showing of mercy and grace and justice. He tells them things that they knew of but didn't understand. How God kept saving them in spite of their actions. In Matthew 13, the pattern is similar. Jesus speaks of things hidden in the past but now revealed. They didn't stay hidden to everyone. And he did so in such a way that he reveals new information. Things that were not previously known. Jesus knew that the crowds were not ready for direct revelation of truth. And so what he does is he graciously and mercifully tries to stimulate the crowd's thinking to awaken their spiritual perception. And those who could would. Those who could not would remain close to his message. The word of the kingdom. Christ's rule. God's rule revealed in Christ himself. They would be accepted only by those able to receive the message. Now there was a previous Old Testament quote in chapter 13 it was quoting Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 
And it was focused at that point on the concealing and revealing, excuse me, the concealing and hidden nature of parables. But here, with the quote from from Psalm 78, the focus is on parables revealing power, how God uses them to reveal. And God is showing that Psalm 78 and verse 2, and really the whole psalm, is a type, a picture, an example of what Jesus was doing in speaking in parables. It's like this. Asaph, in his generation, speaking under God's inspiration as a prophet, revealed truths previously hidden to the people of his day. And now Jesus, the prophet, the prophet sent from God, revealed previously hidden truths regarding God's kingdom to the people of his day. Derek Kidner said that both Asaph and Jesus make the past hold up a mirror to the present because the true pattern of history wasn't obvious. Jesus fulfilling prophecy and teaching things previously hidden so his people would know with assurance and that they would serve him faithfully was what Psalm 78 was all about. It was ultimately pointing to that truth. And so what Matthew is doing is he's underlining Jesus' ministry in parables as being foretold in Scripture. Jesus' birth was foretold in Scripture. His ministry was foretold in Scripture. His death and resurrection were prophesied. And the fact specifically that he would speak in parables. And he spoke as a prophet. Now you may not realize this, but you need a prophet. You need a prophet to speak to you accurate things about God with authority. A prophet who will tell you the truth. A prophet that you can trust. And not just any prophet will do. Many have made the claim. There are high profile ones like Muhammad and Joseph Smith. Or even ones that we would consider a joke like Harold Camping. They and their followers claim that they speak for God. But whatever their statue, they're all fakers. They're frauds. They're imposters. They're deceiving and being deceived. You need a prophet who has words of life, not death. You need a prophet that will tell you gospel truth, not pagan lies. Jesus Christ is the prophet you need. See, mankind is under a threefold curse due to sin. First and foremost, we're ignorant of God's will. We are ignorant of God. We do not know God apart from God. And we are guilty due to our sinful nature. And we are enslaved to sinful things. We are destined to an eternity separated from God in hell. We're enslaved to sinful things. We're ignorant. We are guilty. And so we need a threefold cure. We need Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Someone needs to get that. As king, Jesus frees us from our bondage to sin and corruption. As priest, he forgives us the debt of our sin. And as prophet, he gives us the wisdom from him and teaches us God's ways. Martin Luther wrote of Christ. He was anointed to be our prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, Christ preached personally during his life on earth, 
validating his word with miracles, especially his own resurrection, and through the preached gospel today still proclaims himself to be the son of God and redeemer of the world. Francis Turretin put it this way, ignorance is healed by the prophetic, guilt by the priestly, the tyranny and corruption of sin by the kingly office. Prophetic light scatters the darkness of error. The prophet shows God to us. The prophet enlightens the mind by the spirit of illumination. Of his prophetic position, Matthew Henry said of Christ, that he reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Peter, speaking of Jesus, quoted Moses in Acts chapter 3. He said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. John 7 John 1 and verse 17 says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.3 tells us that in him, in Christ, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus. So what did Jesus do as God's prophet? What did Jesus do speaking for God? Well, the first thing he did was he spoke God's word. Quite clearly, he spoke God's word. The living word of God spoke the word of God. It jived what was already written. He engaged in teaching and instruction and rebuke and encouragement and correction and exhortation. He spoke clearly and he spoke in parables. He spoke God's word. Jesus, as God's prophet, also spoke in agreement with God's word. He revealed and interpreted and brought forth new truth from God's word. When he spoke, it never contradicted what was said before. It always fulfilled it, totally consistent, never contrary. And Jesus, as God's prophet, spoke according to the need of the moment. He spoke according to the need of the moment. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear, according to what they could handle. Mark chapter 4 says that with, and this is a parallel passage, by the way, to our passage for today, but Mark 4, 33 and 34, says that with many similar parables, Jesus spoke to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. One of his own, Peter, asked him and said this, Peter, Jesus asked his own, excuse me, said, are you going to leave just like everyone else is leaving? Are you going to desert me just like everyone else? And Peter, in John chapter 6, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. See, Jesus spoke to reveal, to conceal, to challenge, to assure, and to fulfill Scripture. And he does so today. He is doing so today as well. But maybe not in the same way that you've heard that he is doing so. Louis Burkhoff wrote this. Christ continues his prophetic activity through the operation of the Holy Spirit. His teachings are both verbal and factual. That is, he teaches not only by verbal communications, but also by the facts of revelation. 
such as the incarnation. Christ becoming man. God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. Such as his atoning death. His substitutionary atoning death. Such as the resurrection, Christ raising from the dead. Such as the ascension, going back to be with the Father. See, Jesus meets us in his word at our point of need. Right where we need. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we contemplate Christ as the prophet that we need? You see, God does not want you to be an observer, but an active participant in his unfolding plan. There are ways you need to respond as you follow God's prophet. And there are ways just like Jesus. Number one, you need to confidently speak God's word. To speak God's word with confidence. Paul said to Timothy, a a young man who was prone to, to being timid, He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So you need to confidently speak God's word. Preach it, pray it, read it, sing it, share it. But you can only do that if you have first humbly received it as God's word. Many people today doubt that the word of God is really the word of God. Many Christians today doubt that the word of God is truly the word of God. How can we know? We know the Bible is God's word because, and I'll give you several reasons. Number one, God says it is. God says it is. Again and again, Scripture makes this claim. And those of you that are much, much smarter than me have already thought, well, wait, you're using circular reasoning. You're using arguments from authority. But let me say this. Circular reasoning and arguments from authority, I know they don't hold much water with those who do not believe. But the fact is, God is the ultimate authority. The fact is, God did speak Scripture. He is the author of Scripture. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus said, your word is true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. So the first reason is because God says it is. And that takes faith to believe. The second reason is, it's come true. It has come true. The things that God says will happen, happen. Which gives us confidence that the thing God says will happen in the future will happen. It's come true. And it's accurate. God's word is accurate. It is a historical document. It agrees with history and lends lends credence to scientific discoveries. It's accurate. And its structure is amazing. God used over 40 different writers over a period of 1,500 to 2,000 years to write his 66 books. Its structure is amazing. And its effects are unique. It changes us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us, God's word works wonders. God's word edifies the soul. God's word transforms our minds. There's more, but let me just say this one. This is probably the most amazing. It exists. You can sit here today with a Bible in your hands, reading it in your language, 
And the fact that the Bible exists is proof positive of God's supernatural preservation of his word. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. It is eternal. There are two things that last forever. God's word and people. Invest in both. It will exist for eternity. And that gives assurance to believers. 2 Timothy 1.14 says this, By the Holy Spirit who indwells us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit who indwells us, guard the good deposit, the gospel, the word of God that has been entrusted to you. God gave me a, a great illustration of that back in 1985. I was in seminary at the time and I was going up to Big Bear to go do some ministry at a church and while I was driving up, I stopped to a convenience store to get something to drink. And when I went up to the, to the check stand uh, to pay, there was this huge jar, a glass jar, that, a clear glass jar. And the, the kind that pickled pig's feet would come in. And in that jar, about two or three inches uh, at the bottom were all sorts of coins. And then the rest of the jar was filled with water all the way to the brim. So I asked, I said, how come the money and then the water? And, and the money, by the way, was for some kind of charity that they were collecting money for. But the person said, well, it's because this way someone can't just come in and grab it and, t- and steal it. It was security and being filled up with all that water. But there is security for believers in being filled up with the word of God. Look, I know how I know how it goes when you spend time with people who don't believe. And I hope that you're spending a lot of time with people who don't believe. Because God, if you're a believer, God will manifest through you the the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place that you go. But here's what is a, a subtle temptation for believers. To somehow think that if I just came up with the perfect answer to their objections, they'll believe. You've got people telling you left and right, I don't believe Jesus and I don't believe the word of God. And so we think, well, if I could just come up with, with the, the most creative and, and, and eloquent answer, they'll believe. But the problem is it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Human persuading doesn't change an unbeliever's mind. Only God can. People do not come to saving faith in Christ by our eloquence or solid arguments. We never argue anyone into or out of the kingdom of God. Now, God uses your efforts in the process. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And every person is dead in sin unless and until God does a work of regeneration in their hearts. So our confidence, our security must be in God and his word so that we confidently speak the word of God. Second, you you need to consistently speak in agreement with God's word. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, teach what accords with sound doctrine, sound teaching. And when it comes to life in the body of Christ, I I often benefit from the ideas and the thoughts of some of my favorite 
writers and preachers and friends, both living and dead. And I use their views almost as a sort of compass as I navigate life and develop uh, and cultivate a biblical worldview and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're helpful, but they have their limitations. None of them are Jesus and none of them wrote scripture. The word of God, the word of God cannot be trumped by the word of man. The word of man about the word of God is not inerrant or infallible. So I am influenced by others I respect. But their opinions must never be allowed to take precedence over Jesus or the word of God. You've got to beware of the pitfalls of human viewpoints and systems of thought. Benefit from their strong points and then keep moving. It's like seasoning. Use sparingly. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. So where someone doesn't imitate the Lord, we shouldn't be imitating them in spiritual things. The only inerrant, infallible source that we have is God himself. And the only inerrant, infallible document we have is the word of God. Spoken by God himself. You know what it's like to crave junk food? We all do it. We crave to eat something that we know will mess us up. That has no nutritional value. And, And we want that so much because it tastes good. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. But we are, attempt, we are, we are tempted in so many ways to, to accept so many words that are not good for our soul, that have no redeeming value. We are tempted to accept so many words that are false, so many words void of meaning. See, the Father spoke of the Son. He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Memorial Day is tomorrow. And and Memorial Day is for remembering those who gave their lives for our country so that I can stand up here and preach and that you can do your thing during the week. And and we, we believe as believers that God has provided that through them. But we remember there are some amongst us who who fought and came home, obviously, because you're here. But there were people that you fought with that did not come home. And and we remember. We are grateful. We are thankful. And over all, above all, we need to, as 2 Timothy 2.8 says, remember Jesus Christ every day being a memorial day. Every day remembering him who died and rose again on our behalf. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead according to the gospel. See, in a sea of swirling claims, Jesus stands alone and must stand alone as our sole authority. In a world of things you simply cannot trust, the Bible, the word of God, must stand alone as the authoritative source of truth. The living word of God and the written word of God are your true north. Point people to Jesus in the scriptures. Trusting the spirit of God to apply the word of God in the lives of the people of God. Last point. You need, as you follow Jesus as prophet, to carefully speak 
according to the need of the moment. Carefully speak according to the need of the moment. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says this, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome there means rotten. It's garbage. It's trash. And it's so easy to think that means just cuss words, curse words, or bad words. But they also, it would also point to unnecessary words. Not according to the need of the moment. Words that don't build up. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. So God will use our words to build people up and give grace to those who hear. God calls us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Innocent in what is evil, wise in what is good. We are not to cast our pearls before swine. We do not. We are not to give what is holy to dogs. And that might mean at some point withholding the message from those who trample upon it. Reject a factious man after multiple warnings, the word says. Rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. But there may be a time when silence is wisest. I will say, though, that most of the time, speaking is wisest, and we pass that opportunity up. We need to confidently speak the word of God. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, with reverence and fear. I have a friend who is very careful with his words. Mindful to use words appropriate to each situation. And I have learned from him a lot. His example speaks to me a lot. And I am learning to pray, Lord, what does this person need most right now? As I, as I seek to attend to this person and help them, what do they need? Where do I go in, with the word of God or, or in prayer with them or giving some sort of direction? What do your people need? I'm ashamed of how many times I have not redeemed the time with my words. How many times I have pulled the rug out from under what I have said because of something I've done or said. I know that I am a man of unclean lips and speak among a peop- and live among a people of unclean lips. It's interesting, there's a lot of grads here. A lot of graduates are happening, graduations are happening right now. And when you graduate, there's always a ceremony. And that ceremony is called a commencement. It's not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the rest of your life. Every moment that you check your pulse and go, hey, I'm still alive, my heart's still beating, I can still breathe, is an opportunity from God for a fresh start. Sure, we're people of unclean lips and we live among people of unclean lips, but those who are in Christ, our eyes have seen the Lord of glory. So we have hope. We have hope that God will continue the work that he started in us. We need to stay in God's word on a daily basis, multiple times a day. An interesting thing happens at the end of Matthew chapter 13. In fact, go there. Verses 53 to 58. Jesus goes to his hometown and teaches in their synagogue. You're like, wow, that's awesome. What a homecoming that must have been. Wrong. 
They were astonished, but not in a good way. They questioned his true identity. They took offense at him. And Jesus' reply, verse 57, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and his own household. Jesus likens himself to a prophet who speaks the very words of God. And by the way, we should not be surprised that they rejected him. He came for the cross. But we live in a day not unlike the days of the prophets. Not unlike the dusty streets of first century Palestine that Jesus walked. Where left and right, people speak bold-faced against God and his word. And they think nothing of it. We know that they are ignorant and deceived and lost and blinded by Satan. But we do not hate them as enemies. Because we were just like that not long ago. So we pity them and we pray for them and we seek their rescue because all who believe were just like that. As Micah 4.12 says, they, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord nor do they understand his plan. But here's what happens. God graciously reveals both to the believing, his thoughts and his plan. So listen to God's prophet. Listen to God's prophet because he is your life, your very life. And he is speaking today through his word. So pick up your copy and read. And then confidently speak God's word. And consistently speak in agreement with God's word. And carefully, oh, oh, so very carefully, speak according to the need of the moment. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus is always our prophet. That he has declared his name to us and will continue to declare it. And that he reveals, Lord, thank you for revealing your will to us by your word. Things written, the Bible written that we may believe. And by your spirit, the Holy Spirit teaching us all things. Lord, you are the best teacher. We know that you came to give us understanding and you have compassion on us. And we have hope that is our soul's anchor and you invite us come to me and learn and we receive your teaching Lord may the, may the word of Christ dwell in us richly and may we abide in it continue in your word and so prove to be your disciples we thank you in Jesus name